You have been chosen is the title of this message this morning. See you, Logan. <laughs> if you're a follower of Christ, God has chosen you from the beginning of time to be his child. It's a heavy concept, isn't it? The God who breathed the cosmos into existence chose you and I. I don't know, uh, I have to apologize to Pastor Jeff, I kind of put him on the spot with his wife for service, but she's not here, man. Look around, she's gone. She went home, fixed her dinner, actually. So here was, here was the question. As young men, would you do anything to win the love of a girl? Who, who, would, who would do that? Anybody done that? Fred, did you do that for Grammy? Did you do anything to win her love? I, th I thought maybe that was. What do you say this morning, brother? Uh, I said, what do you expect me to say? Well, well <laughs> I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm not going to do that. But, but when I think about Christ choosing us, how do, how do you do that? How'd that work in your life? When I was young, I was, always tell people I was raised a heathen pretty much. Uh, my sister did all she could, but uh, that, I started making up my own mind. But Diana told me not to mention her in a service, so just pretend she's not here. That, that'll work for me. That, that works. Just, just pretend, don't look at her. Just, just pretend she's not here. But anyhow, she, went, she was a church girl, so she went to church in this church in Casey. And I, you've probably heard this story 50 times, but I want you to listen to it again because I'm old and I repeat myself and you're being kind. I went to church with her. Mm, not a good idea at that time. Because in that setting, when it came altar time, I sat in the back. I, I tried to be, be incognito. And two old deacons come back and got each arm and drug me up here to the altar and pushed me down. I, I, was, I was frightened, actually. I, I was coated with sweat. Um, I didn't accept Christ. And it, and it scared me really bad. I, I don't think many of us were chosen. Maybe you were. I don't know how you came to Christ. But when he chooses us, I'd say in the vast majority of the time, he, he doesn't do it forceful. He doesn't because he's a gentleman and he calls us that way. In his great omniscience, it means his attribute that he's all-knowing. He knew which human would accept him and which humans would reject him. It's all based on free moral agency, the power of choice. It's up to us. He doesn't force us. I believe he gives us that choice. He gave the angels that choice, and they didn't choose so good because a third of them left, got kicked out of heaven with Satan, actually. So we accept him by our own free will. And because Jesus is God with skin on, he knew we would accept him. That's why he could say in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I command you to love one another. So God chooses us, and then in his relentless love, he pursues us. He chases us. He doesn't let us off the hook. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. He surrounds us with his great love, and if we look closely, we find God everywhere in our daily existence. God pursues us. Why? Because he has chosen us for a very important purpose Look at the text again. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I command you to love each other. 
In the movie Evan Almighty, we see somebody, of course, it's a Hollywood dumb production, but we, we kind of get the, the, the gist of it, the drift, that we see somebody that, that God has called for a specific task, and he's really unsure about it, and he sees God in everything. Let's, let's watch. Early on, it could be very costly, because instead of punting from deep in their own territory, they're already at the midfield right now. Yeah, and that's just that quick throw. Again, it's not a three-step drop. You just, you just... Dad, what are you doing? I'm watching this. Genesis 6.14. Gen 6.14. Joan, do we have a Bible anywhere? Genesis 6.14. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Gopher wood. Go. Well, it's not really gopher wood. I just like the wordplay. No, it's pine and maple. It was clear cut from this valley to make room for all those houses. Excuse me, do I know you? Not as well as I'd like. I see you got my housewarming gift. That was you? You sent those? What are they for? Hey, hey. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. I want you to build an ark. You want me to build an ark? Yes. So that's why the tools and you are responsible for the wood? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's just start over. Ha <clears throat> Hello. I am Evan, Evan Baxter. Baxter. Born June 15th, 1962. Eight pounds, 11 ounces. Mother's Carol Ann Parker. Father Eugene Evan Baxter. Ooh, you have internet access. Very impressive. Do you also have cable? You're a clean freak. You care much too much about your outward appearance. Your left nipple is a quarter inch higher than your right nipple. And when you were a little boy, you were afraid of Gumby. Who are you? I'm God. You're God? Yes. And I want you, Evan Baxter, to build an ark. Okay, you know what? This conversation is a little thing I like to call over. But I gotta get going. Because, frankly, I have an art to build. Busy, 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 busy. Nice meeting you. Take care. Oh, and... All right, see you later. Shake it off, Evan. It's over. The nutcase is gone. I am successful, I'm powerful, I'm handsome, I'm happy. Successful, powerful, handsome, Emma! Oh! Get it out, son. It's the beginning of wisdom. How did you get in here? Don't call the cops. Oh, no, no need. Look, look. There's one right there. Right there. Officer! 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 Carjacker! Carjacker in the car! Carjacker in the car! Oh! Oh! Careful pulling out. Pedestrian in the crosswalk. God is everywhere we look, and he He was in his case as well. That's that's a good movie. Shows God's but you know what? You're you're none of us are different than Evan. 
Because when God called you, that's what he put on your plate. It probably wasn't to build an ark, but it was something. He doesn't back off, does he? God doesn't, doesn't back off. He calls and calls and calls and calls. And sometimes we walk away and his voice gets more faint, more faint, and more faint. We turn around, get stronger, get stronger, get stronger. We run from God like Jonah. You ever run from God? That one point in time that you felt this great pull on your heart that God had called you specifically to do something. And we try to, we try to ignore him with the old fingers in their ears. La, 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 la. Do you know why? Because a lot of times we don't want to do it. We've got this neat, ordered life. And sometimes when, when God comes into that life, he... He changes and rearranges the, the neat little rows that, and columns that we've got lined up. He might put this column over here, or he might take the middle one out, and we don't like that because this is our plans. This is what we're investing our time and our money into, and we want it to go this way, and, and sometimes God doesn't see it that way, and what we fail to realize that his way is the best. But a lot of times we don't want to do what he asks and heaven forbid if he ever asks us to go somewhere we didn't want to go. I can't go there. I have learned in my life that on the face of this planet Earth, there is no place off limits for God. Doesn't matter where it's at. Slums of Calcutta. Shacks in Port-au-Prince. I can go on and name, name after name after name. AIDS clinics, abortion clinics. There's no place off limit for us. If God, if the Holy Spirit is in you, guiding and directing you and, and leading you into this, you can rest assured he's going to take care of you. I believe that with all my heart. And, I, I, and, and a lot of times we don't, we don't, we don't, want, to, we don't want to do that. Perhaps this kind of describes you today. Maybe God has had his call on your life and you've ignored it or you didn't want to do that. You would rather do something else. But here's some amazing facts about being chosen by God. Think about this. With full knowledge of your past failings and present defects of character, God chose you anyhow. That's mind-blowing grace to me that with all my faults and weaknesses and defects that he called me any how to this, this calling that he's called me into. It's a truth that's hard to hold on to when you're having a bad day and underperforming spiritually. And some days you don't even feel like a believer. What's it mean to be chosen? Here's three great benefits. And here's the first one. To be chosen by God is to be seen as unique. Now that's another concept that's hard for us to grasp with 7.4 billion or however many people's in this world that we're all unique that he sees it different, that none of us look exactly alike. Each one of us cries out to be noticed, don't we? We want to be noticed, to be special, not just one more of the same. And with God, everybody is somebody. In his eyes, there are no misfits, rejects, or second-class citizens. He's called us all in, called us family. That's an amazing thing to me. A lot of places we can't find that. You realize the Church of Christ is the only organization in the world that has grace on tap. 
that anybody should be able to come through those front doors and find grace regardless. That's what, that's what makes us different from other organizations in the world. Second benefit, to be recognized as having something to contribute. Chosen people are significant. The biographies are written and read because their stories matter. They establish God's kingdom on earth. God thinks you have something to contribute. You are unique, and he believes that each one of you have something to contribute uniquely to his kingdom as well. God needs you and your gifts. And so we talk about mission fields, and sometimes we get carried away on other parts of the world, but the mission field is here. It's all around us. And he puts us in one. We have our own spheres of influence that are uniquely ours and ours alone. You have your immediate family, your extended family, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your acquaintances, fellow students if you're in school. This is your mission field, and God's put you right in the middle of it. So we cannot come up with the excuse and say, well, I don't have a mission field. You got one. Everybody's got one. No one is excluded from that. As a disciple of Jesus in 2016, we are called and chosen just like the first disciples were. Their progression follows a pattern and shows ours. They didn't follow Jesus by some chance impulse. They had been chosen. He had invited them to interview him. Chapter 139, verse 39. Come and see, he said. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place, and they stayed there the rest of the day. Jesus invites us. He still does. Come and see. Come and check me out. See what you think, and see if my Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you. He promised to change them, to reshape them to his requirements. Shape them in the image of Christ is what he promised. Chapter 15, verse 42 then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon. Jesus said, you are Simon, the son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means stone or rock. Many of us have been reshaped. I, I pray today that you are not the same person that you was when you bent the knee and your heart to Christ, when you became a believer. I hope and pray you're not the very same. That in this process, somewhere along the line, as God shaped and chiseled on us, that people would see Christ in us more and more than he did in the beginning. But the majority of us are under construction. Amen. We're not there yet, but we are in process. Verse 43, Jesus summoned them to follow him. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come be my disciple. As he summons you and I, he says, come be my disciple. Jesus' miracles had clinched their original faith. Chapter 2, verse 11. This miraculous sign at Canaan in Galilee was Jesus' first display of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Signs and wonders. What's the signs and wonders today? I don't have the gift to do things. I mentioned this in the first service. What a calling card that would be that if my friend Tom McClanahan would get on Channel 2 News and say, you know what? 4.30 tomorrow afternoon, Pastor Eddie at Crossroads is going to be over in the courthouse square. He's going to call down fire and consume every tree on that square. I believe that people show up. Would you guys show up? Testing God. See what he can do. Well, I tell you what, friends, look around in here this morning. It wasn't miracles like that that shaped me or brought me. It was miracles of changed lives. Seeing people 
myself included, that I knew before that God had got a hold of and changed them completely. They didn't do the things they used to do. Changed their lives, healed their marriages, brought their families back together. That, that's the miracle of Christ today. Not that he doesn't do miracles, he still does. But God doesn't have proof who he is anymore through that. He proves it through us. He could. My God is in charge, and I believe that with all my heart. And he doesn't need a dog and pony show to make that real. He does it through us, through changed lives, through us speaking to people. Jesus pleaded with his disciples not to forsake him, as many do. He pleads with you and I in the same way in John 6, 66 and 67. You, can you picture the emotion in Christ's voice when he said this and how sad it was for him? At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave too? Many have deserted Christ, and it's a tragedy. And I think it's a dangerous place to be. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, as I said a while ago, and we start to walk away, and we, we don't feed the new nature so much, and the old nature is fed from the rubbish of the world, and it gets in there and roots around sometimes, and we kind of like it, so we start listening to that a little more, maybe going down that path, and God's hollering at us all the time, and in his grace, he extends it way, way, way out. But if we ignore God long enough, I do believe that as we get on out in those outer realms of grace, if you call it that, I, I believe it's a dangerous place to be, and that's my opinion. That's what God has taught me. Verse 70, he adds, then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you. Right before that, he asked him if they was going to take off. And then he says, well, you know, I chose you. In John chapter 10, Jesus claims his disciples as his own peculiar, peculiar flock and asserts that they would live forever. My sheep recognize my voice in verse 27. I know them and they follow me. That's the key. They know me and they follow me. They know me and don't walk away. They know me and they follow me. They, 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 are, we are, they are obedient. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them away from me. If we are walking with Christ where we need to be, nothing can snatch us away from God. And I do believe that the dangerous part is, is when we turn our back and walk away that we, we're saying, that's all right, Lord, but you know what? I'm going to live like hell. That's what I'm going to do. And boy, I, I think that's a, that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. I can't, I can't reiterate that enough. Chapter 15, he explains why he chose us. Verse 5 describes our relationship with him. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. We can do it, but it's under our own power, not his. Verse 8 through 17 he, is how he views us and what he wants us to do. My true disciples produce much fruit. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Now listen to the same word in the next three verses, the next three sentences. Remain in my love. When you obey me, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father, and remain in his love. Remain means stay put. Don't walk away. Stay close to me. Remain in me. I have told you this 
so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I command you to love each other in the same way that I love you. And here's how to measure it. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for their friends. You are my friends if you obey me. If, that's the clause or the, or the condition in that verse, you are my friends if you obey me. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you're my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I command you to love each other. So after telling them these truths and instructions, he expected that they would fulfill his purpose for them and their work would be enduring. And to do this, he realized that that relationship of love for one another would have to facilitate the fulfillment of his hopes. And again, he emphasizes the need for prayer for the continuation of the mission. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, 15, 16. He linked praying with fruit bearing, which in turn was linked to obedience. And he expects the same from us. The great benefits of being chosen by God, number one, To be chosen is to be seen as unique. Two, to be recognized as having something to contribute. And third, to be wanted by God. I hope as a child you had the benefits in your home that you felt wanted. It's a terrible thing for a child to be raised in an atmosphere when they don't feel wanted. It affects them their entire life. I was in a baby house in Russia, 30, 42-year-olds, Sitting in chairs like this, staring straight ahead or at the floor with their hands folded. And they did everything on command. I don't know if there's any two-year-olds in America that do anything on command. It was frightening. It, was, it made you weep because they had reattachment disorder. They hadn't been touched. They didn't think they were wanted. They had three or four women took care of the whole bunch. So they weren't loved. They weren't you went to hug them or whatever, and they're just like a pole. That's, that's too strange for me. Well, there are people in the world that don't feel they're wanted, and this is the third benefit of being chosen because people with empty hearts and wounded past, the only true basis for self-worth is God's unchanging opinion of you as revealed in his word. There are a lot of people on earth, the only thing that would ever speak to their heart and make them feel wanted is if they know God wants them. Because here's the thing. If God wants us, really, who cares? (laughs) Who cares what humans think? You you can think what you... It's like there's an old Apache saying, you can say what you want about me, but you have to live with those thoughts. It's If I know that God loves me and I'm wanted by God, I can overcome a lot of things in life. Because he really is, is what matters the most. To be chosen by men often means to be chosen at someone else's expense. But God doesn't doesn't choose in that way. No, his plans for you does not diminish, diminish the lives of others. It enhances them. So when God chose you, he chose you for one reason and one reason only, and that was to serve. When we begin to see one another as being chosen by God, we'll begin to love and accept one another in a way that we never have before, and it will profoundly change all of our relationships. Can you imagine? I've always said this, that 
hopefully as we mature, we, we get Jesus glasses. And we see the world and our perception is how Christ would see it. You, can you see if a vast majority of people did that, how the world would change? I know crime would go down. More people would be fed and clothed. More people would be ministered to. There's a lot of forces in this world, but love and the love of Christ is the strongest. It overcomes everything. I'm not homophobic, and I love homosexuals. I'm never going to agree with them. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't go into the world and try to win them to Christ. He's their only hope. And not just picking on that group. There's a lot of groups that it's that way that we tend to stay away from. And I tell you here this morning, if you're not called from God, don't go there. You don't go there on your own. It has to be in the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference. So that's, that's what we're open to in life is, is wherever he calls us to go. He wants us to love his way. We are powerless to obey Christ's command to love unless he lives within us. It's the only way we can overcome that. He has to enable us to love in this way. Consider the provisions he gives us to enable us to love others if we let him. Here are the things that God wants to do in your life. Here is the perception that he wants all of us to have. One, if we let him, he frees us from the tyranny of self-love. We don't love ourselves so much that one, number one, always comes first, that we put others first. This can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit because we're selfish. We want what we want when we want it. We want it now. That, that's the majority of That needs to change, and only the Holy Spirit can do that. Secondly, he frees us from crippling guilt. The past doesn't mesh us down anymore. He focuses our thoughts on others, not on our own problems or shortcomings. No matter how, long is that, how often does that happen when you're talking to somebody? It's not long before you're, you're on their problems and going down that road. He restrains our selfish desires. He comforts us by his Holy Spirit. He challenges us with his own examples of patience and concern for others. Jesus' glasses. He encourages us with the support of Christians, brothers, and sisters. And then he fills us with the Holy Spirit and he makes us mirrors and channels for that love to flow through us out onto others. What does this kind of love do? Verse 13. Greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for his friends. It's the highest expression of love we could have for one another. Is there anybody in this life you'd lay down your life for? You'd actually die for? That's a, that's a tough question, isn't it? And I, I think the, the, the situation would merit the answer of what the situation that you're in. You know, you hear some gruesome stories from history. Train pulls into Auschwitz in Poland. SS officer meets this lady as she's getting off the train with her two kids. And he pulls out his Luger and he says, which one lives? Your choice. Man, who wants choices like that in life? I sure don't. It, it, it's, 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 a, it's a tough question that we can ask, and it will probably not happen to us, hopefully. Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, Now no one is likely to die for a good person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. 
when I was still rooting around that mud like a hog, God knew in his omniscience that I was going to come to him, and, and he died for me, as he has died for every human on this planet. Some acknowledge him, some do not. We, don't, we might not have to die for somebody, but we can practice sacrificial love in many other ways by listening, helping, encouraging, giving, praying for. Some people will be difficult to love. Is that an understatement? Some people will be difficult to love. But still, we're commanded to act lovingly toward our fellow believer. 14 and 15, verses John 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, but because a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. In those days, disciples of a rabbi were considered his servants. Jesus changed that. Because he set them down and he told them and uttered the words that he'd heard from the throne room of heaven, from God Almighty himself. And he shared that with his disciples. He said, so now I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because you know what I know. You know what God said. You know God now. That was the difference. And, that, as, as, and that's he, he appointed them then to go out and share that. And that's what we are. We're his friends, you and I for the same task, to pay it forward. Life's burdensome, isn't it? Richard Foster, who wrote discipline, uh, the discipline book, said this, super, super, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. People who have a deep, living, active, loving relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That is what is called for in this world. And being close friends with Jesus. What kind of relationship do you have with Jesus this morning? Do you picture yourself as a reluctant servant or an intimate friend? One of the two. Reluctant servant, intimate friend. These questions will help us narrow this down to think about our relationship with Christ this morning? The first question is this. Do you do what he commands 24-7? Because you're on call. Nobody goes off the grid as a believer. You're on call 24-7. And the Holy Spirit comes to us anytime, day or night, instructs us, pushes us, guides us, comforts us, loves us. And then he asks you to do something. Do you do, you do what he commands? You know, he wants you to love him enough to love others. Second question, do you know what he wants you to do in this world? Do you know for sure? When you get out of bed of a morning, you know, you know what your mission is. You know where he's leading you. You know what you're going to do. Do you know your gift or your gifts and your honing and working on them to use them to serve others? That's the question. And he he wants others to experience his love and know who he is. And then that last one, you know how Jesus thinks? Man, how many people say, man, I want to know what God's like. Listen to Jesus. Jesus tells you exactly what his father's like, down to the last detail. He wants you to be familiar with what he heard from the father. Verse 16, the very reason he chose us you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And that's the Lord chooses each believer to be a branch in the vine. 
The branch that bears fruit that will last, not that rots and falls off the tree too quick, but stuff that will last, that will be eternal. And we think about, we think about that fruit and we think about that one day when, when our time comes and your heart stops and you cross that river. You're amongst people that's gone on before you. Can you imagine this thought? It's two or three people, hopefully more, will come up, look you right in the eye and give you a big hug and say, I'm here because of you. <laughs> I'm here because you were obedient. I'm here because you told me about Christ and what that meant. I, I think that'll be one of the greatest experiences forever for us, other than meeting Jesus. Then Jesus speaks of making requests to the Father, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, in verses 7 and 8. He was linking all this together with prayer. And in 17, this is my command, to love each other. It captures the theme that Jesus introduced in verse 12. Yet also serves as a contrast for what follows. Jesus is, is getting people ready. He's, he's setting them up because he knows that he's sending them into a world that despises and hates them. And what, was, what did he say? Hey, I'm sending you guys like sheep into a world of wolves. We know what wolves do to sheep. But he wanted them to be ready because he knew the world hated them and, and he needed them they was going to get plenty of hatred from the world, but they needed each other for love and support. They, they needed that, that tightness. And I've said this before as well. I do believe that Revive Sullivan has been successful in Sullivan because the day is coming. There is a storm on the horizon, I do believe, for the church. I don't know when, how. I don't know how that's going to be made up. But I believe that God is calling his church together closer and closer because in the days ahead, we are going to need each other in a big way. And denominations won't matter. It'll just be believers. You see, I, I do believe that's happening. We, we, uh, and, and it, one of the things that has amazed me uh, for years, we knew pastors. I'd see them on the street. We'd wave and speak and whatever. But never before did we get together two times a week and pray and love and cry and share each other's burdens. A miracle is happening in Sullivan, Indiana. And that's because of God is bringing us together because he knows that how much we're going to need each other. Jesus legislated love, and he required his disciples to make peace with one another. It's the only way that it would work to solve differences quickly. He knew that bringing all these guys in from diverse backgrounds, there might be a little friction because you're going to get people don't agree on everything. I'll guarantee you today that there's not hardly, if any, churches in America where everybody agrees on everything 100%. I think the only place maybe would be a cult, perhaps. I don't know. But nonetheless, it's, it's not there. Jesus knew that setting this high standard was essentially essential to preserving the unity of the church. He required that believers would accept and live out this standard without backbiting, without gossip, without disrespect or bitterness toward fellow believers. Because when there is strife within the body, it strips the power from the church. So what that means, we, we need to accept each other. All of our scars, all of our warts, all of our ticks, hang-ups, all that we have, we bring them in and we tolerate each other for the cause of Christ. Why did Jesus chase us to bear fruit, fruit that will last? Jesus chose us to have a relationship first with him 
Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and these our brothers and sisters, and then those that we are called into the world to minister to. And we're all called. I can't say that enough. You follower of Christ have been chosen by God Almighty to be his obedient child. To have a 24-7 active and live relationship with him. To love your brothers and sisters in the faith with an undying sacrificial love. To bear fruit in your spheres of influence, sharing Christ with whoever God calls you to and to wherever he might call you to go. Being the witness for Christ he has called you to be as you bless and love and serve in the name of Christ. The last question this morning, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? I know what he says to me, but I don't know what he says to you. You do. How's your relationship with Jesus? I hope you know him this morning. If you don't, don't leave without him. You can accept him where you sit by praying to him, or you can come down here and we can show you how. How's your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is any of them strained? You realize that when we take communion, you're not supposed to take it if you've got a tiff with your brother or sister. Paul pushed that that hard, unity. And how's your relationship with those who God has called you to minister to this morning? Would you say you're bearing some fruit? Well, I hope so. Father, I love you, and I thank you for these fine folks, and I thank you for the way you work in our lives and the directions and the guidance you give us. But the sad part is, Lord, we don't always listen sometimes. So I pray for each one of us with the question, are we listening to you? And what you said to us this morning, because you speak to your kids, you do it every day. So I pray, Father, whatever those words that you, Holy Spirit, have placed within our hearts and in our minds that we obey them, that we do what you've called us to do. We say this a lot, Lord, but it is a fact. We live in a world that needs you in a big way. And we all rub shoulders with people every day that are lost. End result is a burning hell forever and ever and ever. Lord, we don't want that on our conscience. We want a clear conscience. And the only way a clear conscience can be had is by obeying you. So help us to do that. Just help us to be obedient. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.